The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said in a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torture me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He, had kept, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break out of the bonds and uh, be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had, in, had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter those, enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons who came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down to the steep of the, into the bank and uh, into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had, had been healed. Then all the people in the surrounding country and the Gerasians asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And when he went away, he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story of Jesus, and we ask that you would teach us more about him, teach us what it means to be a disciple, teach us what it means to know Jesus, teach us what it means to tell other people about him. Would you do this? Because we need you for Jesus' glory. In his name we pray. Amen. So I don't know if you guys know the name Winston Churchill. He's probably one of the most famous men of the 20th century. Um, he is uh, hes arguably one of the most important people of the 20th century. Um, he's most known for, um, this is Churchill. I, I originally had sent Drew a picture of Churchill, and he was like scowling, and I was like, yeah, staring contest. But this is a bit more of like, you know, a nicer picture of him. But Winston Churchill is most known for his... Uh, leadership during the Second World War against the Nazis, um, against German occupation, and uh, leading the Allied forces into victory against the Axis and uh, against the Nazis. But a part of uh, Churchill's reputation is that he, um, 
you know, he's known for a lot of things. He's known for being a famous cigar smoker and having this crazy life schedule where he would sleep and work in bed until he was like noon. He would do most of his work from bed. But what he's most known for is this uh, engagement with the Nazis. And prior to his leadership of England against the British uh, or against the Nazi, uh, Germans is uh, for about 10 years, he'd been calling the Germans bluff. He had been calling them about 10 years leading up to the beginning of the Second World War. Uh, everybody else um, was uh, not bothered by the, the Nazis' rise to power, but Churchill of, was one of the few, if only, uh, politicians at his time that was calling their bluff and using his power against the Nazis and against the German, uh, German forces as best he could. And so he gained this reputation for seeing the Nazis for who they were, but he became very, very unpopular for it. Um, he, was, he lost uh, personal friends, he lost personal power, but... Uh, he saw what was going on, and so he gained this reputation. And so that reputation for being against the Germans, for knowing what was going on, for seeing and calling their bluff, um, that was what actually led him toward to being the prime minister eventually and for being known by this reputation for being against the Nazis. Now, why do I bring that up? Because I think reputation is, uh, and what we are known for, um, is, an important, is important for who we are and what we do and what our lives are about. Um, we can't avoid having a reputation in one way or another, right? I mean, uh, you, have, um, you have Bill Buckner back in 1986 who missed the pitch through his... Bill's shaking his head. Bill, why? I know. I know it's still a sore subject, but we won. We eventually won. Yeah, not to 1986. <laughs> but so Red Sox, Bill Buckner, he misses the, uh, misses the game, uh, misses... The ball uh, goes right through his, his legs on the right field so that uh, the New York Mets uh, win game six of, of the World Series, which is why the Red Sox lost, eventually lost the World Series. It was obviously a sore subject, but Bill Buckner, he was just playing this game, and he developed this bad reputation for something that was largely outside of his control. I mean, he was largely a good player, except for this one play. And so this reputa reputation, while we, we want to be like Churchill and have convictions that we get known for, there's a part of it that we can't control, right? There's a part of this that we just, there's mistakes that happen, there's things that go on, and uh, there are parts of our lives that we can't control. But what we can control is what people know us for, what we are known for, and what we talk about, and what's most passionate to us. Uh, people pick up on what we're most committed to and what we're most passionate about. People pick up what is most on our minds, what we talk about the most, what we prioritize our time around, what we uh, read books about, what we go on vacations for, people pick up what's most important to us. And that's largely where our reputation comes from, right? That's where our reputation is developed. And a reputation really uh, comes out of what we're devoted to, right? We are devoted to our convictions. We're devoted to uh, what is uh, true to us. Um, we're, we're devoted to those things that are most important to us. And it's out of that devotion, that sense of devotion, that really you could say that everybody's a disciple, right? Everybody's a disciple to what's important to them, what their reputation is going to become, reflects what they are a disciple to. And what we see in this man in the story is a man who is a picture of what a disciple is. He is a picture of what a disciple becomes, and he's a picture of what disciples are known for. And this man, I know this, this might seem odd, but in this kind of crazy story of this man who's possessed by, by demons, we do see a picture of discipleship. We see a picture 
of what it means to know Jesus, to see Jesus, to love him, we see in him what it means to be a, a we see a vivid picture of discipleship in him. And we, and what we're going to be looking at is if this man is a picture of discipleship, he's, he's a picture of discipleship because of Jesus, right? He's devoted to Jesus. He loves Jesus. He's all about Jesus. He's jazzed about Jesus. Jesus changes everything. And so we're going to be looking at three things about Jesus from this passage because it's these three things that are going to develop what a disciple is known for. The reputation a disciple gets stems from these three things that we're going to be looking at about who Jesus is. Because if disciples are about Jesus, we want our reputation to be about Jesus, right? <laughs> it's a pretty simple, simple equation. Seems, seems rather uh, basic. So these are the three we're going to be looking at we're going to be looking at Christ's liberating authority. We're going to be looking at Christ's restoring goodness. And then we're going to be looking at Christ's gracious, gracious mission. So we're, just, we're going to pick up at verse 26, and we're going to start out by looking at Christ's liberating authority. So verse 26, which is, I'm going to read through this again, because I just want to remind us what it is we're looking at and what we're talking about. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasians, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in the house, but among the tombs. When Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He's talking about the demon. For many a time it had seized him. It was kept, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bounds, break the bonds, and he would be driven by the demon into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, "What is your name?" And he said to him, "Legion." For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on a hillside, and they begged him to let him enter those, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down into the deep bank, uh, down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. So you can imagine, I, here is this, this man possessed by demons. Some people call him the demoniac. He is a man who's possessed, right? I mean, this is... This is a crazy story. Let's just be honest. This is, this is a bit of a weird scenario, right? This guy has got a lot going on. And while we kind of engage him here at the end of this moment in his life, one moment of his life, you, have to, you, you get a lot of the picture of what's been going on previous to this moment, right? He was, uh, you can, I don't know what the beginning of the story was for him, but clearly there was a moment in his life where he wasn't possessed by demons, and then there was this moment here where he's clearly possessed by demons. And then the time in between, who knows what happened, but clearly there was a moment where he became to be a bit manic and crazy, and his friends thought, you know what, for your own good and for the good of everybody around you, we're going to chain you up? Like, can you imagine like, what that's like to say to your friend, it's going to be better for me to chain you up than for what, just to let you keep going around? And this guy, I mean, of all things, he's able to break through the chains. I mean, that's not like... That's like no, not normal strength, right? I mean, even if it was like ancient, you know, it's ancient chains. It's like 
it's still metal. Like it's, there's still a lot that goes on in like breaking chains. And, um, the only, the only thing I can think of is, you know, when some people are high on, on meth or something like that, they, their brain loses connection and they, they, they use their strength beyond what's effectively normal. They start ripping their own muscles, but it's just like crazy to try to like be able to break the chains. So there's clearly demonic power going on. He, he's running around naked, so he's not like, you know, like a, 19, you know, a Woodstock nudist running around. Like, this guy's got a problem, right? He's like just, he has clearly possessed and uh, broken in his relationships with people around him. I mean, you can imagine this is kind of, it's got to be a bit of a mar on the culture around him. Like, oh, here's Frank, who used to be, you know, used to sell uh, flowers in the bank, you know, in the marketplace, and now he's running around. And of all places, he's running around among the graves. So, I mean, there's just, the, the amount of things that are just going wrong is just, it's a list, right? It doesn't, it doesn't seem to end. Um, and this guy is, he's, he's living out there all alone in the, among the graves. I mean, this guy, you can imagine this, everybody, his friend's engagement with him, what it's like to have to chain your friend up. But now this guy, you can imagine his situation. Uh, he's basically lost everything, right? He's lost all of his friends, all of his family, all of his ability to think rationally, his ability to provide for himself, provide for his family. I mean, this guy has he's lost everything. And not only has he lost everything, but now he's been driven mad by all this demonic power. And you know, this is not just kind of like some small demonic power because here we have Jesus who lands and steps, you know, almost kind of get the sense, the moment Jesus lays foot on the ground, this man is running up at him. Because he knows Jesus' presence threatens him. Jesus has a power that is, that is pure and good and clean. And this man is possessed by a power that is dark and evil. Um, and so the coming out against Jesus, and while this, we kind of read over this, and it seems kind of like this is an inter- interac- interaction between Jesus and this man, and it seems kind of interesting, there is a sense in which, we were talking about this at our missional community on Tuesday, there is a sense in which this is a real battle. It's almost kind of like battle forces kind of coming out against each other, because here you have Jesus stepping out solo on the, on the dry land. Uh, there's really no reference to his disciples being any help at all. Like, they, they don't really show up in the picture like... <laughs> It's not like, hey, Peter, get my back. No, it's Jesus, and here comes this man, possessed by, of all things, not just a, a demon, but a legion of demons. Because it's interesting, Jesus says, you know, what's your name? You know, there's a bit of like a power play thing going on here. Like, hey, I know your name. You know, so he comes out, Jesus, son of the most high God. In some ways, not trying to, I don't think that he's trying to like get a power move over Jesus, but just trying to say like, I know what's going on. I know who you are. Uh, in some ways, trying to expose who Jesus is potentially before Jesus wants it exposed. Um, but Jesus responds basically to command him to come, the demons to come out, and as a part of that, he says, "What's your name?" And what's interesting is that uh, Legion is is not a name. <laughs> Legion is a military note about the number of men in an army. Right? Legion is a thousand men in a in a Roman army, uh, and so. And in response to Jesus' name, there is this attempt to kind of like, you know, puff up and like, you know, show the feathers and all that. We're a legion of demons. We're a legion here. Uh, we, we're at least something to be reckoned with. 
And this whole reality of demonic power, we stood our small group on Tuesday night, and I think it's appropriate to engage it a little bit here. Uh, it does bring up this whole category of what do we, how do we think about demonic power? I mean, it just seems like a natural question here. While we're looking at this passage, here's this man possessed by demons. What do we do with demonic power? Because demonic power shows up regularly in Jesus' ministry. Demonic power actually comes up a few times within the rest of the New Testament, especially in Acts, and then the apostles will all kind of talk about the schemes of the devil, the work of the devil. Don't be ignorant to the, to, um, to the devices of Satan. What exactly do we do? What do we do with demonic power? And I think there's something we just have to kind of raise because um, when you think about what are the three things that are a part of the Christian life that we have to be working against, what are the three things that we're constantly attacking the Christian life, uh, that we have the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? So the world, the culture around us that is opposed to the designs of God, our own flesh, our own internal sin, our own um, internal problems and brokenness and rebellion against God, and then there's this third category that I frankly just don't think about a lot. I don't really think about demonic powers. I don't, I don't know if you think about it that much. I, it's a category that we moved here two years ago to be a part of this church, and I've had to think about it more since being here. Uh, but it's just not something I think about. But I think it's something that we have to, we have to think about a little bit because um, it's a part of Jesus' life, and if we are indwelt by the same spirit that Jesus was indwelt with, which I, we are, uh, it's something that we need to be thinking about in terms of how do we engage the, light, our, the world around us. Not to try to do some like you know spiritual sword play with the, the demonic forces, but to see what we can learn from this passage and others. And I think what you see in this man is that he has been overcome by demons. He's been overcome. His identity has been has been washed away effectively, and he uh, he very he very clearly has lost his sense of identity, and he is bought into to some degree powerful lies. He is bought into powerful lies that he no longer identifies himself for who he is. Hi, my name's Frank. No, he identifies with, hi, my name is Legion, a legion of demons that has possessed me and I am committed to this darkness that they are leading me into. And I think that just a a basic definition for what demonic power and demonic authority or demonic world is, is lies with power. Just lies with power because I think uh, at the end of the day, all that demons can do, all that Satan can do is twist truth. He can't create anything good. He can't create anything true. All he can do is twist truth, so it's lies. But he does have demonic, it does have a power to it. There is a, there is a force to it. So I would just say it lies with power. And I think there's a lot of ways in which we experience this. I've experienced this, with the, like I was just referring to, with the church plant. Um, you know... There's been times, especially in the early days, of just trying to get this thing moving and understand what God's doing, where I thought I was losing my mind during the day of, I feel like I've been left alone, everybody's abandoned me, uh, why would we do this, what have I done with my life, what have I done to my children? These sort of, these sort of truths that are like, maybe you think about them like, you know, on your drive, but they, they hit you at weak points, they hit you at your vulnerabilities, they hit you at moments where... They are truths that seem, they're, they're lies that come with such power and force that it's just like, you know what, yeah, that's right. But nobody's emailed me in th- six months. All my friends have forgotten me. Nobody's called me. Yeah, that's true. Why did he say that? That's true. Why, why, why is he trying to, why, is, why are they getting more attention than I am? Uh, it was, I was just talking with a friend this last week, and we were talking about 
um, a situation that he is trying to help with and uh, the same sort of situation where uh, a friend of his was engaging with him and it just seemed like, it just kind of seemed like she was kind of coming out of left field. Like, man, like that's just like a real, like she's really just kind of like bought into a view of the world that's negative and dark and um, suspicious. And I just said, you know what, I don't know what's all, all this going, going on, but it just seems like maybe there's maybe there's some demonic power going on. I think just like here, demons are opposed to Jesus. I think in our life as a church, demons are opposed to the good things that God's doing here, God's doing in your life. Um, and I just I just raise it to say, like, I think what Jesus is experiencing here, what we're seeing here, is something to be considered for uh, just being aware of what, that there's more to this world. I think we are taught by our culture around us just to believe in all the, all the reality that we can see. But the reality is that in terms of believing or not believing in demonic power, uh, everybody that lives outside of the Western world believes in demonic power. Have you ever been to the South America, been to, the, been to Thailand or the East, you've been to Africa, they, a demonic power is something that people acknowledge, believe in, and experience. And I think that we have potentially been lulled into a sleep on this issue. And we see it here in Jesus, and we kind of freak out about it because it seems kind of like, well, that's like one of those horror movies uh, kind of in the Bible, right? It's kind of like true for like hocus pocus, but there's, it's not really true. No, this is true. Demons exist, lies with power. But what we see here in Jesus, what we see going on here is that Jesus has absolute, absolute total authority in the situation. At no point is Jesus... Uh, flustered. At no point is Jesus out of control. At no point is Jesus um, kind of trying to wring ring his hands to get the better hand here. You even notice that the demons come up to Jesus and it says twice, they begged him. We, they're begging Jesus, please don't judge us. Don't send us down to the abyss. Don't, don't visit the righteous judgment that you have the absolute right to do. Jesus, don't do that now. We know it's before the time. Please they're begging Jesus. The demons know who Jesus is. They know his power. And they know that he has it without question. But Jesus uses his power. You see what Jesus does here. He is, it's a bit of a, an interesting way because what's going on is that Jesus is saying, uh, the text is saying Jesus commands the demons come out and then there's this interaction between the, the command and the actual effect. And it's not that Jesus is delaying um, because he's trying to muster up his power, but because uh, I think we're trying to learn this lesson about uh, demonic power here, but we're also seeing that Jesus has absolute authority, absolute authority for the sake of this man, because we, we've been kind of talking about demons, and we're going we're gonna to swing back around to who this man is, and you'll notice that Jesus' absolute liberating authority in this man's life is exercised against the demonic powers without question, and he preserves this man's life. He preserves this man, and he protects this man from these demonic powers. Demonic powers don't have any ability to throw this man around. They don't have anything, any ability to harm this man. There's another story where, um, I think we looked at earlier on at the beginning of this series, where the demons threw the man onto the ground uh, in, the, in the moment of the exorcism, and the, the man was not harmed. And again, here, we see this again. Jesus' authority and power, though he can command these forces that we cannot see, that are darkness 
uh, the personification of darkness that make all of our horror movies seem like Disney flicks. These powers Jesus can command with absolute authority and he liberates this man from those powers. He liberates this man from those powers by the simple word of his mouth and he protects him and he protects this man by his power. Jesus' strength, Jesus' power here is never in question. We're looking here at Jesus' liberating authority. His authority is never to quelch or push down or squash or demean. His authority is always to protect and to preserve and to give life and to liberate people. We were just singing about it. Death was arrested. Life in Christ. Here Jesus is commanding and he, is, he has his focus, as we've been looking at through all these stories, he has his focus on this man personally being restored. This man is being personally restored. And, and maybe this is a bit of a stretch, but, but walk with me here. These, these demons are begging Jesus, please don't judge us yet. And Jesus, Jesus acquiesces. He, he says, okay, look, we're not going to do the judgment now. You can go to the demons like you want. He responds to their begging. And later this man, the man that's been freed from the demons, is begging Jesus uh, to go with him. And it just seems like these pleas, this, this tone of pleading, coming to Jesus, asking, the tone of coming to him is, come, is regular in this, in this passage. And I wonder if the way in which we can grow in our appreciation, that we can kind of take the thermometer test, how, how are we doing on, on knowing and loving Christ's liberating authority? The thermometer test for that is, how much are we praying? What's, that, what's our prayer life like? And I know it sounds like a bit of a stretch, but I just think if we recognize who Jesus is and his liberating authority, we want more of that. And we come to him in prayer. And I just confess, guys, my prayer life is not great. I have a time tracker, keeps track of all my hours. What do I do with my hours, blah, blah, blah. Uh, if you're looking at the prayer, my prayer life, just on my, my hours tracker, maybe an hour a week. Last night, Michelle and I are falling asleep. I'm like, you know what? I haven't led us in prayer for years. Forgive me. Let's just pray. It's just, I'm not, because I don't think I recognize and dwell richly in this truth. I don't think I recognize it. I don't think I know it very well. But I think that if we see Jesus with power and authority over all of our needs, I mean, this guy was possessed by demons that were, were rocking his world. And Jesus, by the power of his word, sends send him out. I, that just seems like a Jesus I'd want to talk to a bit. I, it just seems, seems like something I'd want to do. Begging Jesus in prayer. And if Jesus, if Jesus is eager, let me take that back. If Jesus responds to the demonic quest, requ- question, send us to the pigs, I think those people that Jesus died to save, he is eager to hear and respond to their prayers. So the demons are the negative example here. Negative because uh, they're demonic powers. I think the positive example would be our lives responding, begging Jesus, please help me. That situation at work that just doesn't seem to be changing. The problem in our marriage that doesn't seem to be changing. My desires to grow in holiness just don't seem to be growing. Christ, liberate. Christ, come with your authority and liberate us to grow in holiness, to have grace to engage our spouse, to ing- and grace to pursue and love each other here, to love our neighbors. 
don't know. We can talk about that later if you disagree. But I just think that that, as we're looking at Christ's liberating authority, I think as we're trying to understand what does it mean to be a disciple and to gain a reputation, I think our prayer life would be a metric of how we, or a measuring tool, a thermometer of how we understand. Do we really, do we believe in and trust Jesus' liberating authority? So, speaking of reputation, Jesus gets a reputation for this whole thing. Jesus has freed this man from the demon. The demons have jumped ship, gone into the pigs, and now they've drowned. And what happens next is that everybody goes around and tells everybody in town what's going on. So Jesus is starting to get a reputation. While we're talking about disciples getting a reputation in the text, Jesus is getting a reputation. So let's pick up at verse 34, and we're going to look next at Christ restoring goodness. When the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. So they told everybody. Then people went out to see what had happened because that is an amazing story. And they came out, they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. So you have to understand, uh, the pigs and this whole, so we've been referring to this, this herd of pigs. And what happens here is the demons leave the man. And Mark says that there are about, Mark's account of this situation says that there are about 2,000 pigs. So, I mean, that's an incredible number, uh, not only of pigs, but to say, that's, that represents individual demons. Like, no joke, it was a legion. I mean, it was a legion or two. The, all these demons uh, leave the man. They possess the pigs, and they run the pigs off the cliff into the, into the water. And what happens by the pigs drowning is that the entire local economy has been devastated. I mean, this would have been the local economy. It would have been, you know, butchers. It would have been herdsmen. They would have, the pigs, I mean, this wasn't just kind of like their pets. The pigs were... Uh, I mean, some people have pet pigs, I'm just saying, you know, like, <laughs> I don't, but <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? You've heard of that. If anybody's listening to this and you have a pet pig, you're welcome here. Um, pigs, uh, pigs are uh, their local economy, and by the demons possessing the pigs and running them into the water and drowning, uh, the local economy has been shot through. I mean, this is like a huge deal. So, I mean, there's a big, there's a big problem, and I'll just point this out because you might be thinking, Okay, did Jesus just destroy their local economy? Well, I'll just remind you, it's the demons who possessed the pigs and the demons that ran the pigs off the, ground, off, off the cliff into the water. So it, uh, Jesus uh, mercifully saves this man and it's the demons that are responsible for drowning the pigs. I just want to kind of clarify, because to me, I read through this and I'm like, what is Jesus like against local economy? I'm like, what's the deal here? No, no, it's the demons who are working against the local economy who have destroyed everything, but... Everybody comes, they hear of what's been going on, and they come, and they find this man, and you're seeing immediately how Jesus has restored this man, how you were seeing Christ restoring goodness, because here this man was once naked, and now he is clothed. He was once roaming around, and now he is seated. This man was in solitude all by himself, and now he's in the company of all the disciples of Jesus this one, once this man was crying out in like manic possession, and now he is of sound mind, quietly sitting with Jesus. And once this man opposed Jesus, 
face to face. And now he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. I just, I love, at the, I love that phrase there at the end of verse, in the middle of verse 25, at the feet of Jesus. Here is this man who was possessed and opposed to Jesus, now restored by Jesus' goodness, restored to sitting at the feet of Jesus, sitting with Jesus. I mean, you can imagine the turnover in this man's life. He, we're talking about Jesus liberating authority before, now we're talking about Jesus restoring goodness. Liberating authority leads to restoring goodness. That's the way it works. Jesus has been uh, working in this man's life. He has miraculously changed him so that he has now regained his senses. And I think that's, I mean, I don't know what your conversion story is like. I mean, some conversion stories are crazy, kind of like this. Some are very kind of like mild, and they just kind of gradually change over time. But I think there is a sense in which this is true for all of us. When, when, we, when we come to Jesus, we, we somehow just kind of like come to our senses. Like we recognize, oh, Jesus is who I want. Jesus is what I want. Jesus is the one I want to be with. Jesus is the one I love. And I don't know what your conversion story is like. In, in high school, I, I wasn't like a horrible kid. I mean, I did just a couple of stupid stuff. But I would say, that, you know, it's just, you know, my life was probably more identified with, you know, manipulating the people around me to get what I wanted. You know, whether that was through relationships or uh, through lies or kind of, you know, uh, one-upmanship or that sort of thing. And then coming to my senses and realizing, like, what are you... I'm building a, I'm building a kingdom of sticks. Like, no, Jesus is who I want. Jesus is what I want. And I'm sure that if we were to all sit down and talk, I think everybody's conversion story has this moment, kind of like this man, where they say, come to my senses, it is Jesus. And it's his restoring goodness. And that you notice what Jesus does is Jesus is not just kind of like, uh, Jesus doesn't just save this man and just kind of like leave him, leave him hanging, right? He doesn't just kind of, get the demons out and say, all right, have a good trip. No, no, Jesus restores this man and he gives him a sound mind. He gives, obviously this man has gotten clothes somehow. They pulled clothes out of the bag. Hey, here's clothes, put these on, thankfully. You know, finally getting dressed. Uh, Look, why don't you sit here, probably having a meal. Let's sit down and let's talk, learn from Jesus. This man has not only just been released from this darkness that has possessed him, but he's now been provided for. And that's the way, that, that's, the, that's the tone of the gospel. The tone of the gospel is we are saved from our sin and provided all that we need in Jesus. We are provided all the righteousness that we need, all the, all the goodness that we need, all the provision that we need, because we had nothing before. Just like this man, we were, we were, we were totally destitute spiritually without nothing, but you'll notice here the hinge point, and I just, I love this. This is one of my favorite things about this series, going through all these personal encounters, is that uh, as you start to go through all these personal encounters between Jesus and individuals, you see this hinge point that reflects the gospel. It reflects the gospel in a certain way. It shows us a light of the cross to come, and you'll notice that this man he is purged of his evil. He is purged of this demonic possession. He's purged of all that's going on in his life. But he's purged, and that purging comes at a cost. In this situation, it's these pigs that go off and drown off the coast. But, the, but he's purged. He's cleansed from the darkness that has possessed him so deeply. He is purged at a cost. And that cost was, the, in this case, the pig's life. But it is a, a reflection that 
all the evil in our lives, all the evil in the world, but specifically our lives, is purged at a cost. And that cost, that hinge point of where the cost is paid, ultimately is looking towards the cross, where Christ takes on the full weight, the full weight of all of our darkness, all the evil that we are subjected to by nature, all the evil that we love, all the evil that we would cling to and hold as a pillow to our head, all the evil that we love in the world. Christ takes on the penalty so that even on the cross it is said that the sun goes dark. The sun goes dark because the Son of God who is the light of the world will be eclipsed so that the love of God might be displayed fully on the cross and that we might be like this man purged of all of our evils because Jesus paid the cost of all the evil in our lives, all the evil that we have committed, all the evil that we have been subjected to. Just as this man was purged at a cost, Jesus will purge the evil from our lives. He does and he has at the cross. He purges it by his own death not just the death of animals, not the death of pigs in this story, not the death of animals in the Old Testament. The only thing that will truly purge us from the evil in our lives, that will purge us from the, from the rule of Satan himself, the only thing that will purge us is the death of Christ. Christ is where all of our evil is purged from. And yet this man... After, after being purged, is given a new identity. He's now restored, right? Everybody finds, I don't know what his name was, Frank. Here's Frank. Everybody, here's Frank sitting at Jesus' feet. He is enjoying Jesus. He is restored. And that's what the gospel does. When Christ purges the evil from our lives, when we look to him and we see him for who he is, he has taken away the darkness that has defined me. We are made sons and daughters of the living God. I think that is one of the greatest truths of, of the gospel is that this, as this man experienced, he, did not just be, he was not just purged and then sent on his way to make it work. No, he was purged and provided for. He was purged from the sin and then he was provided for. So it's totally of grace. It's this picture of the gospel where it's not just you believe in Jesus and now you got to make it work. It's not just this picture of you got to believe in Jesus and then you got to wear the right clothes, show up to church in the right time, read the right Bible, do the right things, attend all the meetings, give all you want, all you can. That, those are all good things to do. So I want you to come to meetings, I want you to come, I want you to serve, but you're not doing that to try to make a new identity. This man has provided an identity. You are provided an identity in Jesus. When you look to him and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins and you're purged from evil like this man was, you are like this man provided with a new identity. You are made sons and daughters of the living God, which means that God treats you the same way he loves to treat Jesus. He looks at Jesus and he says, I love Jesus. I love everything about him. I love, I love the way he obeys me. I love the way he serves me. I love the way he serves the people in the world. And he looks at you and he sees the same image. God looks at you in Jesus and he smiles. He looks at you in Jesus and he treasures you. He looks at you in Jesus and he loves to invite you to his table to eat. He, loves, he looks at you in Jesus and he loves to provide for all of your needs. So just, so just as these, these demons begged and they got kind of like the mere mercy of Jesus, when my children begged me, I love to provide for them. 
when you beg to God in Jesus, he is he, up on his lap. Tell me about it. He loves to provide for you. He is eager, as this man was provided for, in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed. You are clothed in Jesus, provided for. And I think, like this man experiences, his new identity gives him a sense of security, right? He is secure, where he was once driven mad by these demonic forces. He's now secure and at peace. And in Jesus... I don't, I'm not saying that there's not going to be hard days ahead. I'm not saying that there's not that you're that it's inappropriate to say there's hard days right now. But you do have a security that the very God of the universe, who upholds the universe right now, that He right now we're talking this podium, my brain, your heart, everything is being upheld by His power and Word. He looks at you with love to provide and care for you. And that's we're seeing this in Jesus. We're seeing his restoring goodness. His, his restoring goodness does not just kind of like get by on a shoestring budget. It is lavish and extravagant. And he loves to do it. That's what the gospel does. The gospel changes us from our craziness, the craziness of sin, the craziness of darkness, into the peace and rest of Jesus, right? I mean, it had yes, no. Everybody, yes, we're seeing this here. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm so amazed at how Jesus restores this man by the goodness of, of his grace, of his kindness to him. Do you relish, do you, does this, does this do you love this? We use, the, sometimes I'll use the word relish. It's this, this term about just the soul, your heart, just loving Jesus. Just, do you see that, I think the way to apply this is to say, like, do you, do you love him? Do you, do, you, do you enjoy these things? Do these things, they sound kind of heady to you, or do they sound like an invitation to God himself? Because here, I think, these are, the, these are the truths. Christianity is not about how you get your life back together. It's about how you get God. God coming to you, saving us, and then God puts the pieces back together. So, Jesus getting a reputation for his liberating authority. Jesus getting a reputation now for his restoring goodness. Everybody is amazed by what's going on. And then finally, third thing we're just going to see here as we close, Christ's gracious mission. So, the, the story takes a bit of a turn that we, weren't, we might not expect, right? We might expect this man to be saved uh, to be restored, everybody respond in adoration for Jesus. Jesus, please stay. We'd love for you to hang around. Jesus, teach us more. We were amazed at how you saved and re- re- restored uh, Frank. And um, that's not what happens, right? That's not, that's not where things go. Verse 37. Then all the people in the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into a boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. <coughs> but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You see, Jesus is rejected, and I think Jesus is rejected because these people are seeing this is for real. 
Like they're looking at this and they're like, okay, look at all this demonic power that Jesus just cast out. He, all, they all went into the pigs. Pigs are out and the, the, there's a pig floating away. They've all drowned. They're, they're, they're confronted with this reality of like, man, like this is like for real. Like this evil is real. We don't want any part to do with this. Jesus, you sound great, but this is just too much for us. Like, please go away. Um, and I'll just be honest. I think this is a pattern that I've seen as I have shared Christ with my neighbors, with the people in our area. I've seen where um, sharing Christ with them, yes, that sounds great. I want to know more about Jesus. And then demonic or evil forces or just kind of the muck of life just kind of comes up. And it's just like, you know what? This is too much for me. I had no more texts, no more phone calls, no response. I, I think this is just something that just kind of comes with the territory of sharing Christ with our, our friends and neighbors. At a certain point, the, it's just like too much. I don't want to deal with this. I can't handle Please go away. I think it's just kind of like a, a pattern that we see. I think um, it's something that just kind of comes with the territory of what's going on. But they asked Jesus to leave, and so Jesus, okay, I'll leave. And you can understand why this man would want to go with Jesus, right? I mean, first off, Jesus has just saved him, healed him, and restored him, right? Uh, but then on the other hand, he also has a history with these people, right? Uh, he's probably aware. I've got a bad history with these people. They know me for all that weird stuff I was doing, right? Um, I was the I was the emo kid out in the grave, uh, you know, doing all the weird stuff, and they. Uh, I don't want to be. I don't think they want me around, right? And then he represents. He not only does he they have history, but he represents the loss of their local economy. <laughs> so, like, oh my God, you know, like it's like the 2008 collapse had, you know, like the American economy had it collapse. Like somebody like personified that and just kind of like walking around and like shaking people's hands who are like kicked out of their homes. You know, like, hey, how's it going? Um, so you can understand why this guy would want to leave, right? He's got a lot of motivations to leave. Uh, but Jesus, uh, Jesus is like, you know what? No, it's going to be best for you to stay here, stay where you're at. I, there is a mission for you to do, and it's a gracious mission because my grace has extended to you, and I want you to stay among your neighbors and tell them about what God has done for you. And I find this, this is maybe one of the more fascinating parts to me about this passage. Return to your home, verse 39, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Okay, so Jesus is real clear. I want you to tell him what God's done for you. And so this man who's now been redeemed, restored, renewed, how does he interpret that? He went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So this man identifies God's power and the person of Jesus. They go hand in hand. Jesus is the one who exercises and has God's power. And this is like, and you're talking about like the, the deity of Christ as Jesus God. And this is one of those verses that you might go to. Jesus says, go and tell what God has done for you. Man turns and says, here's what Jesus has done for me because he's God. Like this is pretty incredible. This is, this, he is talking about how God has saved him and renewed him. And he's talking about it in the person of Jesus. This is why the mission of the gospel is always focused on Jesus. This is why we talk about Jesus a lot. This is why we say our mission statement as a church, loving Jesus together. Because yes, we are all about God and we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but we are focused on Jesus because that's where the Bible calls us to be focused. We are focused on Jesus because that's where the authority of God is made mercifully available to us in our lives. 
This is why we are focused on Jesus. This is why we look to Jesus. This is why we love Jesus. And I think this represents this whole pattern of what's been going on, God's power in Jesus to liberate this man from demonic powers, God's power, God's power through Jesus to restore this man and then to send this man on mission. I think this is just a pattern through scripture. And just to prove it to you, just to show you, I, I, just to show you another pattern, a famous passage, Ephesians 2, if you want to flip over, it's going to be on the screens, but I'll read it for you if you want. Ephesians 2, I'm going to read this, and I'm just going to make a few comments about how this kind of connects to what we were just talking, talking about, right? And you were dead in trespasses and sins, verse, four, verse 1, chapter 2 of Ephesians 2, and you were dead in trespasses and sins, kind of like living among the graves, and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, kind of like being possessed by a legion of demons, right? Being ruled and run around by a legion of demons. Among whom you once lived and in the passions of flesh, carried out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Kind of like wailing and gnashing your teeth and being a maniac, right? But here we go. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, Kind of like Jesus pursuing this man and stepping out of the boat and engaging the battle to redeem and restore this man, right? God pursued us in Jesus, right? Verse four, Jesus is pursuing this man in the story. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and, and seated, with us, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Kind of like how this man was redeemed and restored and sat at the foot of Jesus because he loved to be with Jesus and identified with him. This man was re- renewed and restored and sat there with Jesus so that, verse seven picking up, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So just to note, the man of the story did nothing to get Jesus to do this for him. He did nothing to get Jesus' attention, to flag him down. He didn't do anything that Jesus would have thought, you know what, I think this guy, I think this is the guy that we're gonna choose today. No, Jesus didn't, it, they, this man didn't do anything. And just like here, Paul is saying, we don't do anything to get God's attention. We are looking to Jesus, just like this man, looking at Jesus. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Like Jesus is giving this man the gift of liberating power, freeing him from the demons, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, kind of like this man being sent on mission to his neighbors, a gracious mission to his neighbors. The good works that we are created for is the same mission that we're created for in Jesus. This man has been redeemed for. So we are but workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Kind of like how Jesus knew he wanted what he wanted this man to do. No, I don't want you to come with me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go tell your neighbors, I want you to tell everybody about what God has done for you, how God has been gracious to you. You are sent on mission in your neighborhood where you live to be a witness proclaiming what Jesus has done for you. And that's not saying that you're knocking down every door, handing out tracts and putting a sign in your, in your front door. You know, It's not saying like all that. I'm just saying this man was sent to tell his neighbors about, to proclaim about what Jesus had done. To be a disciple is to proclaim. Disciples proclaim. 
Christ. They tell about what Jesus has done. They tell about who he is. They tell about what he's done for them. It's a personal witness to the people that you're personally around, your very neighbors, the people who live across the street from you and next door to you. Those are the people in view in this man's life. The people in view in his life, all the people in his town, which is probably, you know, maybe a few hundred people. You know, it's, it's like if you just took off, like we in Manchester here, if you just take off a section of like five blocks, like that's how many people it probably was. Do those people know about my life and what God has done in my life for Jesus? A few of them do. Not all of them. Do your neighbors, do they know God's gracious mission in your life? That is what we are called to be. Disciples proclaim. They proclaim Jesus. Disciples proclaim because we are, just like this man, Ephesians 2 shows, it's kind of a a different take on the same story. You were dead. You were ruled. God came in, ruled you by his grace, and saved you. And now as a disciple, you proclaim Christ. This man goes around and he proclaims Christ in that word, and he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city. That, uses, that word is used again and again through the gospel accounts of what Jesus' ministry is like. That word proclaiming is used regularly through the book of Acts to talk about what the apostles went around doing. They were proclaiming Christ, Christ and him, who he is. That's why we are all about loving Jesus together because we love Jesus. It's about Jesus, it's about Jesus. It's about focusing on him. It's about seeing his liberating authority. It's about enjoying his restoring goodness. It's about joining him on his gracious mission. We are proclaiming Christ Disciples proclaim Christ. I think that is just the the payoff, that's the the main point, that's the focus of this passage. If this man is a picture of disciples like we are called to be, you are called to be a disciple. You are called to be a disciple who proclaims Christ. We are called to proclaim Christ because of Christ's infinite value and worth, because of who he is, because Christ's liberating authority, because of Christ's restoring goodness because of Christ's gracious mission, we are called as disciples to be known for, gain a reputation for, proclaiming Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have saved us in Jesus. We thank you that you have restored us in Jesus. We thank you that you have graciously sent us on mission with Jesus. And Father, we ask that we would proclaim Christ because we love him, because we know him, because we treasure him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.